This is The Strategist, episode 818. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, happy Sunday evening. Happy oh. barely Sunday evening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we- not really Sunday on the East Coast. Yeah, happy no. Monday morning to all of those east of Calgary. Uh, of course, we were watching playoff basketball, which is why we're here so late. Nothing Go Raptors! Else- that's right. Nothing else going on. Uh, who gives a shit? Let's just jump right into it. Who cares about the banter? We've got lots of banter about. Our first segment, postage not included. Guys, let's talk about what we saw <laughs> with the conservative leadership race. I, I know we have a new leader for the conservative party. We'll park that for a second because I think what's become the story was this process. And maybe, Corey, I'll, I'll start with you. Getting your initial thoughts on what was initially reported a couple hours before the 4 p.m., uh, at least for, for us, 4 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Eastern time slot as a 90-minute delay that turned out to be, oh, I don't know, a seven-hour delay. Uh, give, me your, give me your overarching thoughts on, on what the fuck you just saw. And how charitable should we be to the Conservative Party? Maybe those two questions. So let's be charitable. First, okay, the story is not the process. The story is that Aaron O'Toole has won the leadership as predicted by you and I and not (laughs) predicted by Stephen Carter. (laughs) That is correct. Episode 813, minute 23. Yeah, just uh, Just saying. (laughs) You just keep flogging that. It's just like, you know, it sounds like a cry for help in code. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Episode 816, minute 66. How does that sound? Is my oh. rejoinder to that. Um, probably, uh, no, the story is not the process. The, the The process was deeply painful to the media. It was deeply painful to pundits like us. It was deeply painful to the, the political class that have nothing better to do with the Sunday than whittle away seven hours in front of their computers and in front of their television screens. Um, but uh, I, I don't think the story is process. That said... The process was pretty grim. <laughs> let's let's talk was... about the process for a second, because I want to dissect that or deconstruct it at least for a bit before we move on to Air No Tool conversation, which we'll have in depth. But give us your thoughts on that process. Well, what can you say? I mean, apparently the conservatives had a problem where the machine that was cutting open the envelopes with the ballots was uh, resulting in ballots being cut. And because the ballots have a barcode on them that tells you the writing and that's how they're machine readable. In addition to the OCR, that tells you like, this is my first choice, second choice, third choice. Um, they, They ended up in a situation where they had to then manually reissue ballots because, of course, there's the barcode. I mentioned, right? And so to get to the next step, you need to reprint a ballot, which means you've got to uh, invalidate another ballot. And that took a fair bit of time. I I don't think we know yet how many ballots that actually occurred with. Uh, If it happened, I missed it in in the rigmarole that was going there. But um, deeply embarrassing for the Conservative Party. This is the same system they used last time to open ballots, but now they're using smaller envelopes. And either one of two things happened. The one I suspect is they did test it. And it has a failure rate of about, oh, I don't know, 3%, which is what people are reporting is is the, you know, the number of ballots that were sliced open. And they just, you know, the ones they tested didn't get mangled in any way, shape or form. You also, you can't put anything past the voter to wreck the process and put the ballot in wrong and do all of those things, right? Um, but the other possibility is they didn't test it and they just changed the ballot size. Uh, so it's embarrassing. And I think that uh, if you work at the Conservative Party headquarters and you now have new leader Aaron O'Toole, uh, you're definitely making sure that you're finding um, all of your LinkedIn is up to date and you've brushed up your resume because uh, there's no way the new leader is coming in with a good taste in their mouth about the operations at the Conservative HQ. Carter. Well, I, I mean, Corey's done a good job, I think, of explaining the, 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 the mistake that was made. And I don't think that anybody has any issue with the mistake that was made. What then compounded the problem was 90 minutes, 60 minutes. So it's going to happen by 8 p.m. Eastern. It's going to happen by 9 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Eastern. like our group chat 20... for organizing this podcast, by the way. <laughs> it is exactly the same. We're, we're waiting for you. 15 minutes late, Belgian. But this is this is the... This is the mistake. Problems happen in leadership and counting. I mean, uh, leaders get announced at 4 o'clock in the morning. McGinty is announced at 4.30 in the morning. We we remember Iowa for the Iowa primary, which was a shit show. Uh, the Democratic Party has somehow managed to recover uh, from that and pull slightly in the lead of Donald Trump. Um, these things don't matter, except that the, the problem to me was not saying we've got a problem. We don't know when we're going to have it fixed. But we're committing to having it fixed tonight. And we're going to give the networks 
uh, 45 minutes notice or something along those lines, which would allow them to break away from their seven hours of coverage. This is where the two problems occurred, where Sheer got up and said, don't trust the mainstream media, that we're broadcasting this thing live um, (laughs) with like no economic incentive to do so. And uh, then being lied to, um, perhaps inadvertently, but definitely lied to by the campaign, uh, by the by the, the the staff that were running the leadership. So those two things compounded to create a real problem that was, you know, uh, yeah, there was an there was an error. Um, I mean, errors happen. I, I that that's reality of leadership campaigns. This is not. Um, that's not the mistake that was made tonight. The real mistake was telling the media 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. Like that was bullshit. And even the last 15 minute warning was bullshit. And then the gap between the first and second ballots was bullshit. Agonizing, agonizing, agonizing. Terrible. Corey, Corey, did it hurt? Did it hurt their brand? I don't think so. Not in any kind of real way, not in any kind of long-term way. One of the nice things about a leadership contest, Zane, is there's a whole new boss in town and, and they get to bring in their people and they can say, oh, those were the fuck-ups under Sheer. That's not what's going to happen under Aaron O'Toole's leadership. So, you know, they get a bit of a pass on any party operations that go wrong on leadership days and they go wrong so consistently. I would suggest more often than not, leadership results get delayed and we, the media, everybody should just stop kidding themselves. These results are going to come in late. They always do. I think about how long it took the uh, in-between ballots in in the leadership for the NDP where Mulcair was elected. Sure. Agony. Uh, even Jason Kenney, when he got the leadership of the UCP more recently in Alberta, very late results. It's just, it happens because there are so many things that go into a leadership contest beyond the counting of the ballots that exacerbate these things. Now, you know, it's not wrong, though, what Stephen said about how they they manage the issue wrong. And I really do mean, I think some people's probably need to think about whether they've got future employment with the CPC going forward, because yeah. this was a really bad performance by them. Um, they were either lying to themselves or their bosses or a combination of both when they thought they could fix this thing in 90 minutes. They, they need somebody with an operations brain who could say, okay, well, we're processing about X number of ballots a minute. Uh, this is not going to happen for several hours. And so let's talk to the, let's talk to the media and let's regroup on this thing. Because the idea of just stringing everybody along for so long is, is the most infuriating way to deal with that. Uh, it happens all the time, but it is the most infuriating way to deal with that. I agree with Stephen as well. I can't believe they made us wait for an hour between the first and the second ballot or what was pretty close to an hour. That was bananas. That was crazy. It was. I, there's a lot of things to discuss. I, I think we got the process out of the way. Before I move on, was there anything different you guys would have done? Should have this, this have been your process? Corey, you've run a party before. Is there anything you knew that if this was your leadership election that you would have kind of done differently? Uh, I want to go through that stream of questioning before we move on. Hmm. Well, you know, every leadership contest is its own special little creation. They're snowflakes, right? They ha- they have different rules. They have different technologies. And um, there's two things I can say about that. One is it's very hard to pass judgment as a result, standing somewhere else. You know, what we did the time I ran a leadership contest was use technology literally in this exact same way it had been used in other leadership contests to try to minimize the amount that something could go wrong on that front. And then we hired a former chief electoral officer to be our you know, auditor, you know, we just really tried to belt and suspenders it and, and avoid any kind of great grief. Um, but if you are trying to, even when you're doing that, I, I have some sympathy. So they, they went to smaller envelopes. We went to a different system we had in Alberta. The, the origins of the Liberal Party's supporter system, the idea that you can just register as a registered Liberal and vote and everything, that started in Alberta and the leadership contest I ran was the first one we did that. And it's different. I mean, there there are so many different complications that go in there. So even when you're relying on tested and true technologies, things can and will go wrong and there will be delays and there will be angry leadership contestants. That's just the reality of the system. So I say all of this, have some sympathy for your party apparatchiks because they, even when they're doing the same old, they're not doing the same old. These things are always different and you're always creating them from scratch each Carter, and every time. Anything you want to add to that? Well, I mean, I, I went through this in 2010. I mean, our leadership, the results were coming in late. We had a, uh, a 
uh, person who was supervising the vote in one of the ridings, because we ran 87 ridings. You could have polling stations in each riding, and some rural areas had more than one polling station. And one of the people who was running, the DRO, the deputy returning officer, uh, was running the station, and she took the ballot box with her because she had to go combining. So someone actually had to run out into <laughs> into the field to try and get her uh, to get the, the, the ballot box. Now, the difference is, and this is where I would have recommended that Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole and the party get together. Um, we were in negotiations with Gary Marr. I mean, we basically knew that we'd won. Now, Gary's team was holding out some sort of hope that there would be some sort of miracle in that magical ballot a box. A literal miracle on a, the prairies. Yeah, a literal miracle on the prairies. Because uh, Field of it, dreams, so many other... <laughs> but ahead, we, were, we were negotiating with them the whole night, saying, okay, we... We've won. We know we've won. You know, let's go out there together. He wouldn't. He wouldn't go out there together. He waited until we had the ballot box and everything was known. And and that, I think, hurt him. Uh, in the same fashion that I think that the O'Toole campaign and the McKay campaign and, and even the Lewis campaign, if they'd gotten together and said, okay... What you know in the party office? What's the frickin' result? You know who's running this election? Tell each of our, our our campaign managers this is what's happened. We are going to skip the following things. We are not going to do the province by province rundowns. We are running straight to the leadership. We're we're going to put Aaron O'Toole in front of the microphone as fast as humanly possible, so we get something vaguely resembling an audience uh, when he does his speech. That is what should have been done between to to rectify the process problem, and that could have been done uh, probably, you know, um, an hour and a half before Aaron O'Toole actually got to 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 hit the uh, to hit the stage to do his speech. I mean, we're not watching his speech right now. Um, I'm not sure that anybody is because it's you know it's 1:30 in the morning Eastern time. This is not this is not when you want to be making a speech uh, and introducing yourself uh, to the Canadian public as the uh, presumptive next prime minister, which is what you want people to think of you as. This, that's yeah. where the mistakes were made. And, and Carter, I'll get to the strategy of what O'Toole should do. But before that, two very quick things. You know, one of the things that all three of us got to do over the seven hours was watch a lot of media analysis and how the media filled the, the airspace. I want to quickly talk about that. Uh, what was your general take around how, how that was filled uh, and, and, and the conversations that were had? Because, Corey, I know for you it was hair pulling. Uh, so before I get to O'Toole, let's talk about this. Well, let me let me open it up with just saying tremendous amount of sympathy for everybody mm-hmm. who is trying to fill um, hours of time. So you're going into a, bro- a a broadcast and you fill out certain amounts of time, and then you probably would would double it because this isn't their first rodeo either. They know that things take longer, uh, so they're going to plan for an hour and a half long broadcast. They're going to jump that. They're going to have programming for maybe up to three hours. When you're hitting the fourth and fifth hour of your live broadcast, there is nothing left to say. And this is, again, where I come back to the party mistake that was made, was not giving the networks the opportunity to break away and come back. Uh, I think that CBC would have come back. I think they have the responsibility to come back. I'm not sure that CTV comes back, but regardless, this needed they, they needed the opportunity because those 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 pundits... Um, the media personalities, um, like they were lining up people that they didn't even have lined up. Producers were working the phone lines, bringing in people just to fill time. And there's nothing to say. There's nothing to say except this is going to happen. And um, <laughs> that's that's a really, really negative spot. And it falls back to me. As much as some of the, the analysis was a little cringy, um, I have nothing but empathy and sympathy for them because there was no way of doing it otherwise. Hogan. I mean, God love them. I watched CBC and Carter's right. They had so much air to fill. I, I And we've all done this for them. We've all been pundits for the media in those situations and had to help them stretch time as you're waiting for something else to happen. But there is a limit to the value and and you really got diminishing returns i in particular i was struck i don't know what hour this was very not that close to the end it felt like it should be close to the end but i think we're still <laughs> it was what we call the, the mid end <laughs> yeah it was like you know not the you know it was the beginning of the end maybe but eric grenier was there doing some poll analysis for cbc as he does that's his gig and i like they're just they're running out of questions. Uh, is there anything else I can ask you? Was literally uh, yeah. almost like question that right, kind of put right. out. And I can't remember who was asking it, but <laughs> when, when you're when you're sort of 
so clearly expressing on air that you don't really have anything else to say, it's just time to call it, right? But they didn't have that option for a number of reasons, not least of which is Andrew Scheer uh, did his, you know, broadside against the the mainstream media. Let's let's talk about that, Hogan. Let's talk about Andrew Scheer because that was the bucket I wanted to get into before we talk about O'Toole. So he gives his goodbye speech. It turns out to be some sponsored content for the Post Millennial and uh, was, it, was it the True North. <laughs> True North uh, yeah. yeah. So Andrew Scheer has already begun his career as an influencer uh, with his hashtag ads. Uh, but but what did you make of what seemed to be a very strange negative speech by uh, by Sure, Corey, you got going, so so continue the thread on that, and I'll go to you well, right after. You you kind of stole my thing. You you threw it as a bit jokey, but I do wonder, and I don't think he's actually you know being an Instagram influencer, but I wonder if he's not trying to carve himself kind of a more right wing persona hmm. uh, and and introduce himself in that ilk and become a bit well. Talking head doesn't pay very much in this country, Andrew. So might maybe think twice about that, but. He, he seems to want to still be an opinion leader, but has decided that where there's any currency, and I mean this in the literal dollar sense, yeah. where that exists is on the further right, because that was quite – he that was very strange for me. The idea that he was so angry about the quote-unquote mainstream media, I think often when people lose an election, they blame the media, mm-hmm. right? That's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. often a big part of it. But even in the context of that, I mean, it was a fairly classless – response it was pretty wild to see a party leader go out on that note a former speaker somebody who has been very very well regarded in the past carter give us I your take on what on both what you heard from sure what you saw in terms of what Corey's saying in terms of what he may have telegraphed but also the content of what he was saying i want to pick up on Corey's point about the the former speaker because it's quite the 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 pathway from former speaker, because I, I would suggest that when Andrew Shear was speaker, um, he was fairly well respected. I mean, Corey, you're yeah, going to, yeah, I mean, uh, no one's going to disagree with this point. I think, uh, you know, speaker is a, is a role that requires a certain, um, you know, way to carry yourself. And he carried himself, I think, very well for that particular role, which one would think would lend oneself to being a politician. And, and since, being elected, you know, the leader, his his pathway has just gone down and down and down uh, to, to, I think, the lowest point, which was this particular speech. Um, this speech was not um, a coming together of the Conservative Party uh, of Canada. And, and ultimately, a be, you know, there, there needed to be a conversation about uh, Andrew Shear standing in front of the of, of his members and saying, "Please don't do to me, or don't do to our next leader what has been done to me." Not in those words, but that should be the tone. We are together. We are bringing this forward, regardless who the who the leader is. And instead, it was an insular. The only people you can trust are are, are media outlets that don't that don't even matter in the overall scheme of things. Uh, that no one's following. I mean, how did he leave out the rebel? How? I mean, Ezra's just got to be pissed. This is you know. But that's that's who he's trying to get votes from. It's weak. It's small. It's tiny. And that's who he is. Weak, small, and tiny. And and now he leaves the national stage where really his best gig is going to be writing op-eds for Candace Malcolm. I mean, it's just, it's just sad. <laughs> Corey, finish us off on this. Well, this was definitely not Washington's farewell address, right? I mean, it was a small speech. I mean, Carter's exactly right. And it was bad advice. That's the other thing to keep in mind. If the conservatives were to heed his recommendations, I think both members and and party, like, let's focus on these outlets, that would be effing terrible advice. And it would pull them away from the mainstream that they need to get elected. Here's the bottom line with Andrew Scheer. He almost became prime minister despite himself. He Mm -hmm. did win the popular vote, but for a few seats, he would be prime minister. But he has to take responsibility for his failures here. He exaggerated his employment and his education. And worse than that, he walked into an election with those things still hidden and holding over his head. So so he's got to accept a certain responsibility and not just blame the media for this. And the conservatives need to – and I think the conservatives are savvy enough. And I think Aaron O'Toole and the people around him are savvy enough to know – you're not going to all of a sudden put all of your efforts on post-millennial, right? That's that's not the plan. But – can you imagine? You think about this statesman like beginning you and not beginning, but you were the speaker and you leave on this note. Your grandparent, your grandchildren find this in a hundred years, or your great grandchildren. God, how embarrassing for you! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's move it on to our next segment. O'Toole time. 
Get it? Tool time. Tim Allen. That's really good. Tool time. That's you know, really topical. Th- that's yeah. one for the Toronto Sun to steal. So well, I know they listen. So <laughs> yeah. I'll let them. I'll let them have that. Uh, Toronto Sun that that had to go and publish early uh, and and can't, doesn't have a picture of O'Toole on their front cover. There's no way he's getting in. That was actually what the editor in chief said. There's it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. We can't pivot. Uh, Corey, let's start. Actually, Carter, let's start with you on this. How did we get here? Give us the 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 play by play in your mind as to what got us here to an Aaron O'Toole victory. You know, we talked about many times on this podcast. If McKay was not at forty three, forty four, forty two in that first ballot, he was screwed. I think that played uh, to to what you saw here. But what else did we see that kind of led to Aaron O'Toole now being our our leader for the Conservative Party? Well, I think the the first thing that we saw was the un- unbelievable strength of uh, Leslyn Lewis, who really did amazingly well on the first on the first uh, ballot, um, and Derek Sloan also did, I think, amazingly well on the first ballot. Uh, the two of them together were approximately 34 percent of the vote. Um, they got one third of the vote as as. Frankly, um, two people who were running on a very socially conservative platform, um, they together uh, had the plurality, I think, of votes uh, east of Ontario. Um, I'm sorry, west of Ontario. They 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 were dominant in uh, all of the western provinces, which gave which says says that the party that is the CPC no longer represents the parties that used to, the people who used to include the PCs um, because that's Mm. where Peter was coming from. And ultimately the end game uh, with O'Toole winning was just a simple matter of picking up and cleaning up all those second choice votes. Um, Those people that were voting for Sloan and Lewis were simply never going to vote for McKay. That was the thesis that we talked about in episode uh, 813 at the 23-minute mark. And, <laughs> and that's the thesis uh, that carried them through to, to this particular moment. Because um, McCain knew the, the problem with the front-runner campaign, as we discussed in episode 813 uh, in the 23rd minute, is the front-runner has to win on the first ballot. Um, so if you is don't win like on the— hostage? It's like a hostage signal. You're putting well, out there. Of course, just, what goes on at eight thirteen at the twenty third mark? My loyal listeners will go back and and you see, like, listen. Are you being abused at home? What's going on? Is no, we, it's, do we can, my 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 the, the don't interrupt me, Belgie. I'm I'm talking. The the point the point is that that I had no idea. I don't even know that the pundits had a, a particularly solid idea. Even people talking about the numbers didn't have an idea that fully one third of the, of the voters in the CPC election were going to be really, really right wing. And that if, you know, if you told you that up front, McKay doesn't even throw his name in because with one third of the voters being voting for Lewis and for uh, Sloan, there is no path to victory. And that was the, that was the thing that we didn't see until the actual results were announced tonight. Um, and I'll tell you something, if Lewis had done, you know, two more months of, of heavy publicity like she's gotten in the last two weeks, I honestly think she'd have been there because um, she, she got a ton of publicity, even in the last seven days, which were kind of, you know, too little too late. But, you know, the, she, she rocketed up at the, at the end. Corey, you know, we talked often about McKay selling the most memberships, having the the most membership sales, fundraising. How did he end up in a situation where he didn't just lose narrowly? This wasn't the this was the O'Toole strategy in the sense, hey, let's just chip away, ensure we're close on the first ballot. They were very close on the first ballot, and then by the third ballot, it was a significant margin. I think th- three or five thousand in between there. You you may want to correct me, but this was not a small. Let's just sneak it through on the third ballot. He killed him uh, on that last one what would you make of the fact that he was supposed to win this thing with membership sales and money yeah well i'll say front runners do not win with 34 percent, and that's what mckay got on the first ballot um because everybody runs against the front runner i think that's some of the analysis we heard in episode 813 at the 23 minute mark right and the (laughs) the the notorious 813 23 minute mark um and you you really saw that the the way that the votes aggregated up in some ways McKay did better between the first and the third ballot than I may have expected otherwise right he ended up yeah. with what forty three percent ish did. at the end of the day yeah. so he moved from thirty four to forty three he moved up nine points 
meanwhile, O'Toole moved from 32 to 57. That's 25 points. And and that's that's actually not bad for Peter McKay on on additional ballots from from people who have dropped out on the right of the party. And um how he how he managed to lose this is that he never had the enthusiasm, he never had the hearts, he never had the excitement of the party, which is what the knock has been against Peter McKay since the day he entered this race, right? There was there was no diehard McKay stands out there. They were they were never going to be that engine of enthusiasm that even Sloan, mm. frankly, had with some of his supporters. He was always seen as a person who made a ton of sense on paper. He was the the old red Tory, and I don't know if people were looking for a red Tory. Carter, you know, I'm stealing this from our buddy Evan Solomon, what he said on TV, that his criticism of Andrew Shear, McKay's that is, was that Andrew Shear had an open net and couldn't score. Would that same analogy apply <laughs> to Peter McKay here? Like, what do you think? Do you agree with Corey's analysis of the enthusiasm gap being the reason that he just couldn't put this thing in um, and, and, and score? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. I mean, how do you let Aaron O'Toole beat you in Quebec, right? Like, there had to be some sort of strategy failure or some sort of uh, campaign, you know, misunderstanding about how the campaign was going to actually unfold. Um you know, he, he, this this campaign should have broken through where, you know, McKay's going to look at the Western Canadian ridings, which were divvying up pretty solidly with uh, um, going, you know, going to O'Toole and say, OK, I'm going to uh, I'm going to try and do 25 percent in there. And I'm going to really focus in on Ontario, Quebec and, uh, East, you know, the eastern uh, the Atlantic provinces. Well, he didn't do that. I mean, he didn't get anywhere. I mean, he got beat by Lewis in Alberta. Like it yeah, just, yeah. you know, it just, and, and Lewis, I think won Saskatchewan. Um, as I, you know, I, I just glanced at the results. I was like, she's won Saskatchewan. Like those two things should have been pretty good for McKay in some respects, because those votes should have come out of O'Toole's total. And if he'd done what he was supposed to do in Ontario and Quebec, then he's, then he's swamping through. But when O'Toole wins Quebec, that's the ball game because McKay should be should be pulling it off um, pretty handily. But I don't know if they if, if the population Quebec just was tired of McKay. They knew him too well. Um, but there was a campaign strategy failure for sure in in some sort of implementation in that space. You know, Corey, last time the Conservatives had a leadership race, Sheer won, I believe it was on the 13th or 12th ballot against Bernier, and many called him an accidental leader. Do you feel like that's what happened here? Do you feel like the process created an accidental leader, or or was this pretty definitive, that O'Toole walks out of this thing saying, nope, I fair and square won this thing? Like, what's the kind of narrative you see coming out of this? Because last time it was very much an accident had kind of happened because of the process. Same thing this time, or is it different for you? I think he won one. The the only thing that might make me think otherwise is the raw vote counts. So if mm-hmm. we find out McKay actually got if McKay quote unquote won the popular vote, right? right? Something right. the conservatives have been bragging about in the in the last election. Federal that. Yeah, that could potentially throw a bit of a wrench into the engine for O'Toole. I don't think a bad one. I mean, ultimately, I agree with Stephen. There was there was clearly a strategy fail here. If uh, if that's the case, even more so, right? Because that would mean you exerted an awful lot of effort in areas that were not getting you a ton of votes. And just looking at where uh, Lewis and Sloan did well, I would say they they obviously did well in areas that were, you know, outside of the major centers. So um, I think it's it's going to be interesting to to kind of see how how they impacted McKay's support in in some of those areas as well, because it could be like very relatively few votes could have changed this thing. When it gets down to it, we just we don't have enough information yet, and that will come in the coming days, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, McKay, um, McKay blew it. Cutter, did it, is this is is this a legit, authentic, strong win by O'Toole? Can he take this to the bank with just a strong leader perspective? That I am now the definitive leader of the Conservative Party. This is not an accident. Well, I think so, because I think that there'll be a couple of narratives that come out of this. First will be the narrative that we're talking about, that Peter McKay has has blown it. Uh, and I expect Peter McKay will then slink off away from the the, the limelight. Um, and Leslyn, Leslyn Lewis will step right in. Um, you know, she's going to be, I think, the, the secondary storyline of this. Uh, and in some cases, she might even be the primary storyline. Um, so she's going to be 
uh, a big opportunity. And her votes, because her votes went to O'Toole, and Sloan's votes ultimately went to O'Toole, um, there's a real strong sense that you helped get them there. And so her voters and the people who are supporting her uh, and Sloan, I think, will feel represented in this decision. So you're not going to see the same uh, collapsing of, of the party the way you, you saw it under uh, you know, Scheer and, and Bernier. So I, I think that this is going to be um, a good thing, and, and there's not going to be any doubt. Like Sheer faced a, a tremendous amount of doubt um, after the you know 700 candidate, six million ballot vote um, that was the last CPC leadership. Coy, chime in. So it was a convincing win, and I don't think that the nature of the win in any way hurts O'Toole. It, it obviously gives him a free hand with the party. That's that's a good win, especially in a field of four where everybody's credible. But kind of everybody was credible. So here's here's the bigger problem. The conservatives fundamentally had about a third of the vote go to social conservatives, mm-hmm. a third of the vote go to the former Red Tory, and a third of the vote go to Aaron O'Toole on that first ballot. And that does speak to a party that has some some factionalism. And I don't think it's something that's insurmountable, but I do think that Aaron O'Toole is going to have his hands full as leader of the conservative party, because there are obviously some components of the party that see themselves as mutually exclusive with the others. And you see that even, uh, and you know, I did say McKay actually got more of that vote than I thought he would, but you see that even with how few people were willing to go to McKay and what McKay represented to a lot of conservatives was that red Tory, right? Yeah. He, yep. he wasn't running as a red Tory, but he was seen as a red Tory. And, um, and similarly, I think that if if in some parallel universe we could see how Peter McKay's votes drop off, I bet you almost none, zero, go to Derek Sloan and very few go to Leslie Lewis. So that that's a problem, right? It, you've got these two camps and Aaron O'Toole is nicely positioned in the middle of them. That's good. Good for him. That's a good opportunity. But um, th- th- that's not something without risk. Coy, I think you bring up an excellent point. Carter, maybe I'll go to you on this, which is the orientation of Aaron O'Toole as a true blue conservative is what he kind of branded himself as. Then the social conservatives flanking him to the right, Peter McKay flanking him a bit to the left. All four of them ran to the right, uh, to Corey's point, which is how do you think this is problematic, if at all, for for O'Toole now that he has to come out of this has a coalition that uh, feels like they they predominantly are responsible for getting him over the top the social conservatives how does this translate when we consistently you know after the halo effect and the glow of today for the conservatives might look at themselves tomorrow and be like oh fuck now we have a viability problem again because we've got this group disproportionately propping us up how do they kind of look at this from the broader perspective of of the next election because today feels great that they they got through a process and thank God they're through it. But there's still those problems around viability that they had with Sheer and his social conservative values going uh, in, in the last election. Well, I think it's a it's a really tough strategic question because it's it's not as though conservatism is the same across Canada. You know, a conservative in Quebec is not looking the same as a conservative in Atlantic Canada. The same, you know, applies in Ontario. And of course, Western Canada, Canada is its own special brand of crazy conservatives. So each one of these conservatives needs to be brought together. Now, even then, even if you bring all the conservatives together, you still have the problem of trying to bring the voters in. And ultimately, this is where the conservatives have have failed. They are far more comfortable uh, speaking to conservatives than they are speaking to potential conservatives. And, and I think that that's where this particular leadership, if, if you look at what all four leadership campaigns did, they went after conservatives. No one thought, you know what, are there potential conservatives out there that would buy a membership and choose to vote in this process? Get them um, in the fold, right. That, right. And that, that was the Allison Redford strategy. We had no interest in bringing in uh, just conservatives when we were running in that, that progressive conservative leadership. We were focused on bringing in people who shared our values. And we thought that there was a bigger group out there than just the conservatives. Now, I would argue given how the the conservatives have have performed in elections since Stephen Harper has has left as leader, that they don't have 
right now the ability to appeal to people who aren't identifying as conservative. And that's where the strategic trade-off has to happen. Is is O'Toole prepared now to say, I'm going to go find the voters that I wish to appeal to? Or is he going to take the Andrew Scheer model and say, the people we really need to be talking to are reading True North and, and reading the post-millennial and subscribing to Rebel News? Because if that's all you speak to, if that's your vote universe, you're not going to make it. And there was polls published this week that said, you know, 49% of Canadians are prepared to vote for the Conservative Party. That's called the vote universe. Um, and I don't think that 49% is a particularly large number in a vote universe. I think if you're trying to compete for government, you really want to be in the 55 to 60% vote universe. Otherwise, you're not going to get there. Uh, that's you're just not the, gonna... And just to clarify for people, that's just a consideration, right? That's yeah. not we're going with you. We, we would legitimately con- consider you. Yeah. Yeah. I have two, I have two ballots. I'm two choices that I would go with. You know, I, I could consider the Green Party. I could consider the Conservatives. Those two parties would then get you in the green in the in their vote universe Corey, i want to talk same question to you right the the mckay's uh sort of fall off now you got o'toole and you're thinking about okay how do i construct uh the future coalition when perhaps the social conservatives have propped me up to this victory what does that balancing act perhaps look like I think he's very well positioned. I I know I just talked about him being in a risky position between those two groups, but he is seen more uh, by many on that conser- you know that true blue social conservative side than than not. So he has a bit more currency to spend with those people. He can he can burn a few more of those policies if he decides he wants to move towards the middle. Andrew Scheer is a weird dude, and I, I think he he kind of played his cards wrong along the way. Um, but I also just don't think he was necessarily um, mentally tough enough. You know, I, I like Aaron O'Toole is a serious man and, and Canadians don't know him. And I look, I'm not predicting the next election, but if an election were called today, I believe Aaron O'Toole would win that election because mm. he is, he's more, he's impressive and people don't know him yet. And, you know, he's a former Air Force captain. He's a lawyer. He's an MP. And when you talk about vote universe, Stephen, two things I would say about that. One is 49% would be a bad number for the liberals. It would be a bad number for the new Democrats. It's not so far off where the conservatives usually are when they win, because the conservatives do tend to see their vote as more mutually exclusive, right? When you think about the way Canadian federal politics divides, the liberals and the new Democrats see their votes as more interchangeable than the conservatives who will give much higher percent who say my second choice is no choice at all. So they've got a guaranteed base that shows up for them. It's a much bigger guaranteed base. And 49% means you've probably got a serious shot at 49%. 49% for the liberals means good luck. You're getting 30% at best, right? Uh, That's not what we're talking about here. So um, I I hear what he's saying, and I would want to see that number a bit higher. But I think that could also bump up a bit on my second point about Vote Universe. He he's not a known commodity to Canadians, and if they get to know him, if they decide they like him, that number is going to move very quickly. I, I want to loop back to to the O'Toole strategy, but before I do that, let's actually talk about some of the other players in this race because everyone after a leadership race has a bit of strategy that they need to play, right? Whether it's their their off ramp out of politics, whether it's their on ramp into politics, right? If you're Leslie Lewis, for example, right, in a, in a meaningful way in elected office. So let's talk about some of those players that we saw. Derek Sloan, what does he do first? Just very quickly on him, he actually outperformed what many people w- were, were thinking as well. Does does he have some sort of leverage or credibility? Carter, if you were advising Derek Sloan, which I know you would take in a heartbeat as a gig, uh, but <laughs> but he, he comes to you. He says, listen, I performed much better on that first ballot than many people thought. People thought I was, you know, a write-off and, 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 and a candidate that wasn't going to win. Well, I didn't win, but I performed quite well. What leverage do I have? What should I be doing within the party right now? It's tricky for me because I would I would prefer to be advising O'Toole. Uh, on this particular I'll, question. I'll because, get to that question in a second. <laughs> okay, but so if I'm if I'm Sloan, what I'm afraid of is I'm going to be used, like I'm afraid that my particular brand of social conservatism is going to be a little bit further than, than O'Toole wants to go. Um, so, and, and I think that I've been out there enough that people know what my particular brand of conservatism looks like. Um, so I'd be meeting with the new leader and talking about what role I could have um, and how much my voice is going to be listened to. And then uh, I would I would suggest to Sloan that there may not be a future for him in the party. Um, 
he needs to look at his he, he's got some pretty good capital right now mm-hmm. he can he can move himself to you know a max bernier style party uh if not to the max bernier's party and actually have a voice the way that um you know when the greens when elizabeth may used to be the only green mp uh she got a voice so you know, I, I would really look at that, I, and I think that if he if he truly believes this uh, and believes that you know he shouldn't be silent and doesn't have and, should, and shouldn't have to uh, uh, couch his words uh, in order to not offend the uh, the snowflake conser- you know conservatives, the not true conservatives, then uh, I'd probably advise him to move. Corey, same question, Derek Sloan. What what would you advise him to do with his capital? My advice to Derek Sloan is is almost the the thing I would encourage Derek Sloan not to do is the thing I would encourage Aaron O'Toole to help Derek Sloan do. So I, I will just say off the bat, if I am Sloan, I'm saying you have to be careful here. Don't overplay your hand. Um, you'll find yourself outside of the party very quickly if you do. Um, so be incremental, show that you're willing to play ball early on, push your advantage slowly. Uh, you have this constituency, make sure you curate this constituency, continue your list, start talking about how you can build up for next time. The areas where you didn't win, ask yourself why the areas where you were strong, reinforce that strength and don't immediately come to Aaron O'Toole's door and and start demanding things. I think that would be a mistake because he's going to throw your ass out of the party and you're going to look like a sore loser. You know, he could, he could just essentially create a crisis that allows him to put you out like Maxime Bernier and just look like you, you're gone because you, you can't play ball. You need to make sure that you have a couple of months of credibility within the conservative party before you start pushing your more conservative agenda. And so the things you want to be saying off the bat are, yeah, no, I'm, I'm willing to be a team player. It was a leadership race. I want to get my views out there. I understand, Aaron, that that's not the uh, party that you're going to run right now. Six months from now, nine months from now, 12 months from now, that's when you start putting the screws to them on different policy and start waving around your constituency. Corey, back to you on this. Leslie Lewis overperforms on the first ballot based on, I'd say, everyone's expectations, if not her own campaign's expectations. Uh, although many people were touting the fact that she had the most amount of individual donors and a significant amount of money raised, so performed really well uh, and could be uh, said to have delivered the victory for Erin O'Toole on that third ballot. What is she doing? Uh, if you're advising her going forward, uh, you know, is is she angling for, for, for a position? Is she angling for leverage? What would you advise that she do on the heels of what happened tonight? I would advise that she demand, well, not demand, but she organized that she gets herself a safe seat somewhere in the GTA that the conservatives always win. Don't throw yourself against some sort of liberal firewall. That's silly. They might try to pitch that to you like, hey, yeah. you're such a star now you could win. Nope. I want the safest effing seat possible because I want to be able to go out there and go throughout the country and build my own brand, right? Which you do not get to do if you're pinned down in your own riding thinking whether you can win it or not. Uh, the establishment loves you right now. You you remind them of Brian Mulroney, for those old enough to remember Brian Mulroney, the, the business leader type who came from nowhere and, and could inspire the party. You are a person of color. You're a woman of color in the conservative party who has shown that she can be a leader. I would also be learning French if I was her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a pretty significant component, and, and I would be getting a tutor and helping with that. And then I wouldn't be exaggerating the amount of French I know. I would almost be saying, like, oh, I don't speak French, and then busting out near-perfect French in a year's time uh, as a result. And just being like, oh, this? No, I mean, this isn't really French. I, I've got a lot to go still, right? Try to manage expectations around there. And when this next election comes around, you want to make sure that you're positioned to gracefully move into the front benches of either Aaron O'Toole's shadow cabinet or cabinet, depending on how things play out. You have much more of an incentive to play ball than Derek Sloan does, I guess is what I would summarize my Mm. advice as. Uh, There are a lot of things a party can give you if the party's on side with you, and you can get them all. Derek Sloan will never get those things. But you should take advantage of the things they'll give you, and you should position yourself to be the heir apparent to Aaron O'Toole, because you can be the heir apparent. Coy, you know, there is an interesting wrinkle here, which is what Carter brought up earlier, which is for many people, O'Toole is going to be the headline, but for some people, she's going to be the headline tomorrow morning. And so the short-term advice to her is... Does she go out to any media about how she overperformed? Does she go out, try to extend any of those, you know, leads that come in in the short term? Or is she, despite her overperformance, taking a backseat saying it's all about O'Toole today? I'm not a story. What do you think? 
she won't be the headline. This is not the New Hampshire primary. Uh, people will talk about her in glowing terms, but she will be the second story. The first story is Aaron O'Toole as leader. Carter, same question to you. Leslie Lewis, what are you advising her if you're in the position of giving her some from free counsel around what she should do going forward? She just jumped over 100 members of parliament uh, in terms of the overall ranking in the Conservative Party. Yeah. Um, she needs to decide that she's playing ball with this leader. Uh, his policy is her policy. Um, that's going to be a bit of a step for her because her policy and his policy don't necessarily <laughs> align. Um, and then she's going to uh, have to make a decision about how how, how she can get into um, into the into the house and how she can be more seen uh, without undercutting uh, the leader. Um, you know, we've seen. There's two problems with it. As soon as you get made a spokesperson, an official spokesperson, you're using your own own capital. Uh, we've seen Michelle Rempel up here, out here, uh, become the 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 talking, you know, broadcaster, and, and she's taken on all of the lines and all the difficult things to say to the media, and she's taken a lot of the hits. Um, Lewis won't want to do that. She's going to have to put herself in a position where she's above some of the fray and she is as seen as uh, the shining light that needs to be protected. Um, and the best way for her to do that is to become uh, the number one uh, lieutenant to the now uh, leader of the Conservative Party. She needs that uh, positioning right away because she just it, the worst thing that could happen to her is that she's forgotten in six months and it could happen. Who, who was she? What, there was a woman. Um, that could happen, right? We, we have a tremendously short um, memory. We don't remember these things well. So if she isn't in the public light with O'Toole, she's going to find herself in trouble. You know, when Carter says Michelle Rempel is over here recording, Carter, of course, has traveled to Oklahoma to record this episode. So thanks so much for doing that on our behalf, Stephen. <laughs> really do appreciate it. Carter, I want to go back to you. Uh, Peter McKay was supposed to win this thing, air quotes. You know, are you advising him to, to run? Are you telling him to leave, graceful exit? What's the, what's the off-ramp when you were supposed to win? What is leverage? Doesn't seem to be any, but I, I'm really curious to hear what you would be telling Peter McKay. He says, hat in hand, Stephen, what do I do? What do you well, tell him? I don't think that Peter McKay will be Joe Clark to O'Toole, you know, like, um, to to Brian Mulrooney, right? So Joe Clark sticks around uh, under Mulrooney's leadership, um, becomes, you know, the minister of everything, uh, who's out solving problems and, and doing external affairs and has the, the the ability to have his own voice in, in the international stage and is doing, um, you know, uh, all of these negotiations. None of that exists uh under O'Toole for Peter McKay. He is not going to be the number one, you're going to be my solving all of my problems minister. Uh, that's just not going to happen. So my suggestion for McKay is have a lovely chat with O'Toole, listen politely. At the end of that chat, say, okay, I've decided that I'm going to leave. What's the best way for me to to leave uh, and give you the best send-off? Uh, it's probably to slink away in the night, which he's done before. So I, I don't see it being a problem for him just to disappear. <laughs> You're saying he should be used to this. Corey, what are you uh, What are you advising McKay? I mean, like, stick around. He's not around. He he didn't run last time. So just, just disappear. You're done. Yeah. It's over. You gave it a yeah. good shot. Yeah, there's nothing to be said. And let's move it on to, to O'Toole. We talked about it a bit, right? And, and Carter, I want to go to you first, which is we talked about all the, the three players that he was dealing with in this leadership race. Any advice you'd give to him about how to deal with them? What's your overarching sort of counsel of everyone, whether it's the three candidates you ran against or anyone else that now starts begging for you for favors and, and jostling for favor, uh, currying tr- a favor with you? What is your overarching counsel to, to, to O'Toole on that front? Well, my, my counsel would be to look at where the seats are uh, and then, you know, decide that that's not what you care about right now. Um, so you're not going to come back and figure out how you're going to win, re-win um, Saskatchewan and Alberta. Uh, you're going to figure out British Columbia. You're going to figure out Ontario. And you're going to figure out Quebec. Uh, if you can figure those three things out, then you got yourself a ball game. So then I would say, who's important to me in those areas? Um, how am I going to build this team and this structure? Looks like you got a pretty good team in Quebec. Uh, so there's something to build from. Um, looks like Ontario, you, you've, you've got some work to do. And in British Columbia, additional work to be done. So my view would be, 
you know, find your heroes in those spaces and find a way to, to make yourself known. Um, my fear is that the party, uh, the party apparatus is very centered towards trying to appeal to, uh, to Jason Kenney and, and, and the Western Canadian conservatives. And, and I think that that would be ultimately uh, O'Toole's failing. He, he has the opportunity to find the conservative party totally differently. And then I would also advise him to look for any opportunity, uh, any false step from Sloan. Um, because he would be easy to throw overboard and say, this does not define the Conservative Party moving forward. Uh, because defining what you're not at this point could be as important as defining as what you are. Uh, because as long as you're carrying around uh, the baggage that Sloan's going to bring, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, to define what the party looks like for the future. Corey, extend your comments on the on the unity stuff that you were mentioning earlier with, with O'Toole, perhaps being in that perfect position you had alluded to earlier. What is your advice for him and what's your counsel for him around those that want to kind of curry favor and perhaps his first sort of big strategic move that you would uh, perhaps tell him to, to, to make? Well, my advice isn't very different from Stevens. I agree completely about Sloan, and I think this is part of solving a bigger mental block Canadians may have with the Conservative Party right now, which is this concept that perhaps it's become a little bit too right-wing, a little bit too beholden to ideals of the past and not ideals of the present or hopefully future. So um, you may need to have a fight with Sloan at some point, even orchestrate one. So when I was saying, if I'm slow and I go a little slow, I don't go too far, too fast. If I am, if I am O'Toole, I'm giving him a little bit of rope to hang himself with here. Because if he does something stupid and I can throw him out and I can say to the social conservatives still within the party, that guy was an effing idiot. He was a loose cannon. I had to do what I had to do. But to the public, it looks like you have purged the party of somebody who, right. who maybe wouldn't even have been allowed to run under, under previous versions of the party. Right. So I, I think that that's that's good. And that's part it's part of work. It could maybe even be a set piece, but there's a mental block. You have to make the party not look unreasonable. And and so on that front, you should consider whether there's a signature policy that let's be honest, you don't you have nowhere to go but down in a lot of these prairie provinces. And you should take that. You should take that trade because you don't need to to win with 30, 40, 50 percent margins in these ridings. Right. So. Uh, consider what your plan is for the environment, I think would be a big one. I think that would be a huge totem in the minds of Canadians. I am not saying carbon tax because he's been pretty clear on that, but I don't think it's incongruous to say, I think we need to act on the environment. I just don't believe the average person should have to pay for it. I think you can even lean into the populism and say, we're going to make, you know, uh, you know, these, these fat cat entitled, you know, uh, elites in downtown Toronto pay for it or something along those lines. Um, and if you recall, during the leadership, he did throw us a curveball when he started to talk about climate. Yeah. Remember that? And because I think he sees that story. And I, I think he sees a lot of the same things I'm saying right now. And uh, then the other thing, honestly, you may have a good team in Quebec, but you're French. If, if you want to be prime minister of this country, you got to do something about your French, because I think that would be a, a significant stumbling block uh, for him in any kind of general election. I want to get your thoughts, Corey, very quickly about O'Toole's relationship with Kenny. You know, he was his most uh, vocal and perhaps first high profile, probably highest profile overall endorser uh, of O'Toole's campaign, did it early, did it often when he could. Uh, what do you think of his relationship with Kenny going forward? Would you, like Stephen, say, perhaps keep it lukewarm and, and distance? Uh, or, or are you leading into that because you know Kenny has appeal across the board and, you know, it's it's something to... to to perhaps not shy away from? Well, I don't think you need to lean into it or lean away from it. It is what it is. The The Conservative Party is is tarred and feathered by the actions of all of the Conservative premiers, right? That's just, that's the reality of it. And I think there's no sense in playing too cute. And even if Jason Kenney isn't popular in Ontario, you're never going to convince people that Jason Kenney is not in some way, shape or form associated with you. But that does also afford you an opportunity to do a bit of kabuki theater here if you find it advantageous to, you know, you're never going to get to a full-blown fist fight. But if if Jason Kenney and you come to an agreement where you could say, well, I just disagree with this, but I'm disappointed with him, but, you know, doesn't clearly cleave with it, doesn't sort of fuel the 
Wexit party, this idea of a Western separatist party. There's maybe opportunity there because he is a friend of yours and because he is close. And this goes back to this only Nixon could go to China thing again, right? Because he has that relationship with Jason Kenney, he can have conversations that Peter McKay never could. Right. Maybe that's a good thing for Canadian Confederation. Corey, seem you, I, I, am I getting a sense you're quite bullish on like what what O'Toole's leadership could mean for overall viability? And I'll get to that question later on. But it seems like all your comments overall are like this could really work for the Conservatives. Oh, I think it absolutely. Listen, I mean, I would. I am not a Conservative. I would yeah, yeah. vote for for uh, Aaron O'Toole. But um, I think that he has an awful lot going for him. And if you're the Conservative Party, I think that there's a real opportunity that he presents that you would not have had with Sheer. Yeah, Carter. I want to I want to pick up on this last thread of the, of the O'Toole uh, angle, which is you know on the attacking Trudeau, defining Trudeau over the last couple of months has been almost squarely in the hands of someone like Pierre Polyev, aka you have a pet name for him, which you'll repeat momentarily. Uh, but uh, you know, folks like that. Uh, I've got two questions for you. How do you, as a leader, now the new leader of the party, snatch away the mantle of of saying I want to be the principal attack dog? A. Do you do that, or do you leave? someone like Pierre in that role so you can in the first couple of months can stay you know above the fray or uh to my second question related when do you do that if not now when are you as leader starting to go after Trudeau is that immediately is that after and are you taking over the mantle of, of principal attack dog or do you leave someone like Pierre Polyev to kind of do his things uh on that side because a lot of this is going to be about framing Trudeau in these very vulnerable times heading between now and What's going to be the throne speech? And there's going to be a lot of activity we expect in between these, uh, you know, uh, right now and, and September 23rd throne speech as well. So I want to get your your thoughts on that and, and the strategy leading up to now and then just setting that context. OK, well, first of all, you leave the attack dogs. This goes back to my point about Michelle Rempel is she's, you know, she's willing to carry your water, then let her carry it. She can go on all the television shows. She can do the committee work. She can make sure um, that, that she's attacking and she's defining the negative. Uh, Pierre is great at that as well. Um, you know, he, his his attack lines uh perhaps should be refined under your new team that you're going to bring in to, to run the uh, – the official leader of the opposition's office. Um, so you'll have better, ideally you'd have better lines and you'd have a more sustained attack on issues that matter to Canadians. Uh, but I don't think that that's O'Toole's problem. I don't think O'Toole's problem and the Conservative Party's problem is that they're not attacking Trudeau hard enough. I think that the their problem is that they're still not presenting their vision uh, for what Canada should look like and will look like under their leadership. I mean, I know that they don't like a carbon tax, um, but what are they going to do about climate change? You know, O'Toole has, has nodded towards taking an initiative uh, on the climate. Well, what is it? Um, what are you going to do? Because fixing the climate is not something that comes without a cost and consequence. Um, so figure it out. Tell us what it is. And I think that that's where, tr- where, where O'Toole could really shine. And I'll tell you something. I know the Bloc Québécois want to have a confidence vote. Um, if I was O'Toole, I, I, I think I might be tempted to, you know, to side with the Bloc Québécois and try and push for an election. I'm not sure... Uh, that without a fully articulated positive plan for Canada, um, you're going to be in a position to actually win after a six-week campaign. Um, six weeks of, of negative uh, is hard to do without without a little bit of, of positive. Corey, same question to you, right? This concept of uh, taking over the mantle against attacking Trudeau, and, and how does that kind of shape into what you're doing between now and the speech from the throne come September 23rd? Well, you need to introduce yourself. People don't know you and people expected McKay to win. So let's not overestimate how familiar Canadians are with Aaron O'Toole. I don't think they're familiar with him at all. And on that note, I I think you have to be very careful about how much spotlight goes to the the Pierre Polyevs of the world. And it's nothing against Pierre Polyev and it's nothing against his ability as an attack dog. It's that um, you don't have this baked in advantage McKay did where you could say, okay, game on, here we go. You know me, I'm around. I mean, he was, O'Toole was Minister of Veterans Affairs. That's um, that's not exactly somebody who's on the, the news every day. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so we need to um, we, we need to start there, I guess, as, as a starting point. When you talk about bringing the fight to Justin Trudeau, this is an opportunity for them to do what we've proposed all along, which is to do more by doing less. This is where you can have 
Aaron O'Toole carries some very pointed direct arguments, but just leave them. Like it doesn't need to be every day a fight about this and 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 then introduce himself as this this steely-eyed lawyer who can who can just be the adult in the room in um in an Ottawa that is overrun with children. I mean, this is the opportunity he has to present himself. I'm not saying that's that's the reality. I'm saying that's that's what the conservatives could weave here. And that um that inherently means it's more about you and less about you lieutenants, right? You're now in charge. You're taking control. Everyone's going to stop talking. You're going to say your piece. Uh, and you are going to articulate a vision. And if you do it right, you can be almost like stern, angry, disappointed. Here's my vision for the country. This makes a ton of sense, Canada. Let's go. Carter, to Corey's point right here, both on vision as well as introduction, does introduction of you as Aaron O'Toole need to happen before vision, or can you do them concurrently? If I'm asking you as Aaron O'Toole's team saying, Stephen, help me out, what are you kind of etching out for us between now and September? Uh, what what ratio is intro and get to know Aaron? What ratio is putting out policies that take the fight to Trudeau? How do you interplay both of those things uh, in such a rapid timeline? Well, you have to ground the policy in in the values of the of the man, right? So you have to ground the the you know I've got a position on. Let me let me tell you why I value uh, a hard day's work, you know, and the value of hard day's work and and the freedom of choice to go and have the job that you need to have to to, to support your family. Uh, I was raised by blah blah blah. Right. Like whatever the, the 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 policy is, you have to be able to ground that in yourself and ground that ideally in something that is easily understandable uh, and memorable. So, um, you know, one of the things I talk about frequently is, is Redford's branding positioning and how strong it was associated with her when she was, um, you know, mother of a young daughter, daughter of aging parents. That brand structure could accommodate any policy position. So when we defined her, we always told her story in those terms about how being a mother has made her focus on education or being a mother gave her these views on healthcare. Um, that brand structure of who you are as an individual then leads to the policy elements. And if, if, if O'Toole does that, then he's in a really strong position. If instead he just says the conservatives or you know the conservative party will never allow uh, a carbon tax because carbon tax is bad, um, you know I just don't think that that really binds him to the position and, and makes the party his. It's just it's rhetoric instead of instead of values. All right, let's move it on to our final segment, our over under and our lightning round. Guys, are you ready? So ready. I'm so ready to go to bed. Yeah, there you go. Corey, come on. Get some energy. Okay, I think these are good. You're going to like these, Corey. I'm going to go to you first. On a scale of 1 to 10, how how would you rank the CPC helping their chances tonight with the election of Aaron O'Toole heading into the next election? 1 to 10, how much did they help their chances tonight uh, on the viability front to win the next election? Uh, they picked the right candidate in my mind. They they kind of flubbed the entry into the world, which isn't a big deal, except for the fact that it does rob them of that Sunday night speech. I'm going to say a nine. Pretty good. Carter, what do you think? I think that they've really improved their chances, if for no other reason than they got rid of Shearer, who was obviously tanking. Um, so <laughs> this, you know, this is a big step forward. I think uh, either Peter or... Uh, Aaron would have been able to 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 do what is going to happen now. Uh, I think that if Leslie Lewis had won, maybe this is a totally different ball game. But the ball game is on, anyways. It's still going to be. It's going to make things interesting. Carter, a yes or no question. I'm going to you on this. I th- I got Corey's answer from his last one. Did the Conservative Party do better tonight by selecting O'Toole over McKay? Was this uh, was this a win if they select him O'Toole over McKay for their viability and their chances in the next election going forward? I think it's a push. I think that either one would have done fine and been compared favorably to uh, to Sheer. So I think that it, th- those two for me um, would have pulled about the same. Would have come out about the same. Corey, over to you on this one once again on a one to ten scale. Did the speech that Sheer give tonight? Uh, hurt or hinder uh, I should say hinder or or help his legacy going forward on a scale of one to ten and I say legacy in the in the long arc political and otherwise we talked about perhaps some of the economic benefits you could see with this pivot but what do you think one to ten so for on for a scale shoot? of one to ten was it one word or the other like what is this who who's up late now Zane? yeah Zane. what are you think... talking about what are you talking about okay yeah. it's it's a it's a one then 
<laughs> one is hinder, ten is help. Oh, okay. And what's five out of curiosity? Neutral. Neutral. <laughs> and a three? Uh, three's pretty shitty. Okay. I'm going to go with a two. What the fuck? I was not expecting you guys <laughs> to actually think about the scale. Why are you answering these questions on the scale? This is this is unbecoming of this the whole process. Okay? When we're up this after is, midnight. This we is told you fucking this. insane. Fuck you. Okay, Carter, you don't even get that question. Carter, you get this question. Uh, over, under, on six, how worried is Team Trudeau tonight with the Aaron O'Toole election uh, or, uh, as, as leader of, of the Conservative Party? If they are not shitting their pants... Right now, then they they don't understand Canadian elections. Really? Uh, First of all, uh, it's not necessarily about Aaron O'Toole. It's about newness. It's about shiny. It's about something. This is why I had Peter and Aaron is the same. I mean, Aaron's less known, I think, than Peter McKay was. But nonetheless, neither of them are as well known now as, as Trudeau was. Right. And it doesn't take a strong narrative to win over the Canadian populace. You know, like we we will vote for anyone. Um, so this this is a massive problem for the Liberals, and they were in trouble already. So there's going to be a bump for the Conservatives uh, in the next round of polling, which is probably commencing uh, tomorrow night, and um, we'll see uh, how real this is. But the Liberals need to not fall in love with their recent polling. They need to decide that they're going to win the next election. Corey, same question to you over under on six. How worried is Team Trudeau tonight? I probably under. Um, I think it should be over. And I do think that this is a time where the liberals have to remind themselves not to fall into caricatures, right? They're going to say, oh, he's so right wing. Canadians will see him as so right wing. Ah, we got him now. Or some will. I I actually don't know if that will be the prevailing view. Obviously, we're just taking guesses here. But um, that's not how it works. To, to Stephen's point, there's this question of newness. He will seem reasonable relative if you think he's Genghis Khan coming in. He's definitely not Genghis Khan. And um, and there's a lot of risk in that. There's a lot of risk in that. So they have to be very careful. Corey, final question to you and you alone. How wrong was Carter about any of these questions? How will the, <laughs> how will the test of time hold up to even some of the most subjective questions? I refer that you we put up, to episode uh, 813, minute 23. Carter, I do this. I do this for no money and even no. less gl- glory. So I need to ask this question, Corey. Please give us, uh, give, give us a t- test of how these will hold up for Carter going forward. Stephen Carter has a superpower uh, that we should all take advantage to. Stephen, I'd like you to go and pick uh, several million numbers the lottery you think will win, so that we can all exclude them and get rich tomorrow. Because it is amazing. You, you you're so good wrong. at this. You've you got this wrong. All I need to do is pick the loser. All I need to go is pick one this ticket. This number's going to lose. <laughs> this is the ticket that's going to lose. And, you know, if I did that, then I'd be set. So, you uh, got some numbers for us? Can you end on some numbers? No, I can't. And I, I, with that being said, I cannot wait until Prime Minister Sloan takes over our country uh, for for what Stephen calls the Maxime Bernier party, because no one remembers it. But we're all tired, and we'll leave it right there at episode 18. That's a wrap of episode 18 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.